I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers at Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's the other lore-focused writer over on Blizzard Watch. That would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hey, everybody. How you doing? I've been playing uh, my Horde characters. Uh, I, I want to get my... Uh... All right, I'll just admit it. I want to create a dinosaur druid. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever play the dinosaur druid much. But you I want a Zandalari like whoa? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The second I saw that, I was like, they got di- dinosaur. They have two dinosaur models. They have a dinosaur flappy model and a dinosaur. Oh, I guess I need a level one ten horde then, don't I? Yes, you so, do. So yeah, been playing horde. And so we, there you go. We heard him pipe up very briefly, but also here with us today is our other co-host, who is also a lore aficionado in his own right, and that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hey there. How are you doing? Uh, I, I'm working on my sixth shaman, leveling it up to 110. Wait, why do you need six? That is crazy. I mean, to, I understand. To level more than one of the same class. See, I know, isn't it? It is Rossi, absolutely insane. And, you uh, and Rossi I both. I'm good company, so thank you, Rossi. Um, <laughs> you and Rossi both do this, where you like you level many, many, I... many of the same class. And the most I do is I'll do one alliance side and one horde side. But then you don't have one of every race you want. What if you need That's a screenshot it. of a different exactly. race you want? Exactly. Like, I missed having a panda shaman, so I just rolled another one. Like, it, this is what oh, I do. Okay. All That's right. That's why I have, I have a blood elf one. I've got a undead one. I've got a human one, a night elf one. I'm working on my torrent. Then I'll go back to my draenei. You know, if you guys want to, like, see, you want to, like, take some screenshots of, like, one of them doing stuff. Plus, the other thing is with the release of the new dynamic zones, essentially, like the, the dynamic leveling, um, it has rekindled my already present love for leveling. I actually really like leveling. Um, there are just certain areas that I dislike, like the 50 to 60 range. I just have never been happy there. And so now that I can choose to go somewhere else and do things that I do enjoy doing and have a little more variety with my character, it makes it a little more fun for me. So it's, it's, it's also kind of an experiment to see sort of how that all plays out. I'm actually, I mean, I don't really have room to talk because I am leveling another rogue, but this one is just an alliance rogue to counterpoint the horde rogue that I already have, right? Um, I'm kind of at the same spot as you, though, Joe, where it's like all of a sudden leveling has gotten interesting again. And I mean, we probably don't level like most normal people who kind of, you know, buzzsaw <laughs> through it to get to max level and that's it. Because that I be know an that. <laughs> right. Well, and I, <laughs> we don't level like normal people. No, I mean, I level quickly. Don't get me wrong. It's just that usually when I'm leveling, I like to see the beginning, middle, and end of a zone. So mm-hmm. with the rogue that I've got right now, I, I, I did something completely unthinkable. So I. I I leveled her to about 30-something, I think, and then stopped, right? Um, 
So when I picked her up again, and this was after the patch, I picked her up again. She was in uh, Upper Stranglethorn Vale, because that was just where you went, right? And I went to go level her, and then I went, wait, I don't have to be here. I could be anywhere. Where could I be? And then I started looking around, and I realized I never did Westfall on that character. So I went back and I did Westfall at level 30. And everything was, everything gave me XP. Everything was at my level. I went from like the beginning to the end of the story without any quests going gray or anything like that. And I actually got to like play through the whole thing and see the rides of Vanessa Van Cleef and all of that, which I hadn't seen in years, right? Because usually, usually when I get to that point, it's like, well, I've out leveled this place already, so I don't really need to be here. And then I move on. I don't have to move on anymore. I guess that that's what I'm trying to say and that's what I really appreciate is that I don't I don't need to move on because I'm no longer getting good XP and I don't have to follow this pre-constructed progression path that we've been following since World of Warcraft came out. You know what else is interesting and kind of cool about it? What? Um I had a character that was like level I'd say 20 something and I was taking it through uh, Silverpine which I'd never done. I'd never done Silver Pine. Ooh, Silver Pine's fun. I got like up to level 30 um, doing Silver Pine. Then I was like, uh, I don't remember what happened. Like, I did a dungeon and then I left Silver Pine for some reason. And I ended up, like, this was all in the last week or so. I ended up going off to to do, like, um, what's the name of that zone? The one that's like, like Welcome to the Machine Zone? Hillsbread. 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 Mm-hmm. So I went to Hillsbread for a little while. I got up to like level 35, 36. Then I remembered I was in Silver Pine. So I went back and finished off the stuff. Yeah. And you, and the thing is, is that you could le- theoretically leave silver pine at level 12. Cause you can start at level 10. It's, it's like level 10 and up. Now you could go to level silver pine at level 10, leave at level 12 for whatever reason, go level other places. Then at level 50, say to yourself, Oh man, I never finished silver pine and go and back. You could go back. Yeah. And that's the thing. And I you mean, get I, XP. Like, yeah, it's, there's no reason not to do it. It's not like the, and the best part is the gear's good too. So if you're leveling without heirlooms, say you're a first-time player, you can totally just gear up and keep gearing up. You'll keep getting stuff that's good. It's not like, oh, what's this garbage and toss toss it immediately. Stuff that you get will still be usable. Um, the silver in silver pine, I got a pole arm that was actually pretty solid. It was I had heirloom weapons, so I didn't necessarily need it. But the the, the pole arm wasn't worse than the heirlooms at that level. I got it. Yeah, you know the, I mean? the heirloom thing is like now with this rogue. I'm not really concerned about playing like a clean game or whatever. She's she's wearing all the heirlooms. I'll just say that. She's wearing like every heirloom in the book. I have yeah. I have all of them. They're all equipped because I, I don't care. I want to get XP fast. But the thing is, is like, even though I'm getting the XP faster, I don't feel like I'm being chased out of a zone three quests into it. I can go ahead and like... Conf- finish that zone and experience all that story and everything without losing out on anything. And what I'm really looking forward to is I'm really looking forward to hitting 60 and being able to go 60 to 80 in Outland because typically, um, oh man, I can't See, remember me, the last I'm... time I level, I can't remember the last time that I did any quests in Blade's Edge or Nether Storm or, um, even like, uh, Shadow Moon Valley. Most of the time, what I did was I would go in, I would complete all the quests in Hellfire Peninsula and get just high enough to go straight to Nagrand, finish about maybe halfway through Nagrand, if that. Yeah, and like then, the big storyline quest. And then finish. go to Northrend because I was already yeah. outleveled everything. So I missed out on Terracar. I missed out on all of this other stuff. So I haven't leveled through these zones in ages and ages and ages. And I actually get to do that now. And I'm really excited about that. So. I understand people that are kind of like frustrated by the leveling changes because yeah, soloing isn't quite, they did fix the soloing in dungeons and in, in raids thing. Um, I was able to complete Terragosa, Terragosa's staff on my priest. Whereas before they put in that hot fix, I don't think I could have soloed it. <laughs> so they fixed that and that's fine. Leveling takes a little longer. Yes, but it feels I don't know. To me, it just it feels more satisfying. And this is speaking as somebody who approaches this stuff from I like to see the story play out, not I want to get from A to Z really, really fast. Which is yeah. kind of this. This show isn't a leveling show. This show is like a lore and a story focused show, 
we like that kind of thing. So anything that lets us see more of it is automatically good. Which is why I'm excited about it too. Like you guys have yours with your, you know, your particular zones. Like, and you really like, you know, to be, you're going to like going through burning crusade type stuff. I've done so much of that, that I'm actually looking forward to spending more time in Northrend, uh, which also makes me really happy because again, the, the story there, like I just absolutely love it. And I never get to finish everything there. Like I, I just honestly think one of the things that they've done is that's really great is the thing you guys are talking about. The ability to decide, okay, I want to spend more time in Northrend or I want to spend more time out in Outland or for like the Cataclysm and Pandaria stuff. I can actually do all the, the, the Cataclysm zones. Mm-hmm. I, I, when, I made the mistake the last time I went through Cataclysm content of doing um, Vashir. And I like Vashir fine, don't get you me can wrong. Get- you can yeah. you can max out on cataclysm content just by leveling through Vashir. You used to be yeah. able to do that. I, I, I think I went to Vashir at eighty one and I was eighty four and a half by the time I got done with it. And you're like literally going, Okay, I guess I'll go to Hydro for like half an hour and then I'll be done. Like, you know? And it's just you can actually go see that content now. Like you were talking about gonna to get to see Northrend again. You can do all the Northrend zones now. And there's you're not there's no reason to leave. There's nothing pushing you out. You don't have to go, oh, well, I'm 85 now. You know, I mean... I might just... make a jaunt up to Ice Crown near the end. Like, I, I might just, just for funsies, go up to Ice Crown because I did really like Ice Crown. Um, the Matthias Lerner quests, the ones with the the creepy ghost boy in the basement, <laughs> in Ice Crown's basement. Um, oh, you know the one yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, okay. I love that quest chain. I love that quest chain, and I kind of want to do it again. So I might leave Outland to go do that. But I'm kind of looking forward to. Uh, I, I'm. I'm maybe I'm on the opposite end with than you, Rossi, because I'm looking forward to going straight to Pandaria and skipping Cataclysm altogether. <laughs> so I, I actually I didn't mind the Cataclysm zones. I really don't think they're well. I... Except for they were just they were just different. And I I agree with you. Like, I didn't have a a big problem with them. But I think the the meat of the the meat of the joy of this is that for each of us, we all have our like individual things that we love or the content that we really focus on. And we can just go do that now while leveling. We can go through those stories and we can relive them. You can pick. And so that's sort of the joy in it for all of the other people that also feel like that as well. And I know that there's several of them that have been sharing in my excitement. Uh, I shall say. Uh, and and that's really cool because that's something that I think a lot of us have always wanted because, I mean, yes, leveling is a process that used to be sort of central to the game. It's really not anymore. It's more sort of just a vehicle to sort of kind of give you some mechanic experience, if nothing else, and then deliver all of the story primarily more than it ever was. Um, and so that the fact that it has basically embraced that more is something that I think I've been asking for for years. So that makes me super happy. Yeah. The only reason I'm even remotely excited for uh, the wow classic servers isn't because I particularly loved playing in classic the way the mechanics worked. It's because I want to actually get to go see those old quests again. That's basically it. Yeah. That's I kind of miss some of those old, I miss, you know what I miss? I miss the old playlands because they were creepy. Yeah. They yes, were, yes they, they were. Creepy. They were super creep. And, I want to uh, do the Lincoln's quest really badly. Ooh, because I haven't done quest, it. I've, yeah, I can transmog to that sword, so I know I did it. Like yeah. I have the sword in my inventory for transmog, but I don't remember it very well. Like I just remember when I, I remember drinking the potion at the tombstone <laughs> and dying. Oh and yeah, what the heck just happened? Why am I dead? And that then, was you know, so much fun. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of old quests I I do miss. One of the the things about the revamp was that I do miss those things. And it's since then Blizzard has learned from it. And when they do change an area, they, they put in somebody to let you go back. Well, and now phasing's a thing, which it wasn't really before. Like it, it, it wasn't, wasn't right. Like it, yeah, it was just kind of becoming a thing. And then they didn't really fully embrace that technology like they did now. So cataclysm sort of happened before that, which puts it in a weird place. Yeah. All right. So, um, now that we've talked about that for, you know, a good 10, 15 minutes or so here. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It is lore related. It's lore adjacent. So, you know, we are talking about that. We're talking about and, the vehicle for lore delivery. You know, I, I've i noticed that even with, like, full heirlooms, I mean, people say that it's it's slower to level or whatever. But, I mean, even with full heirlooms, if I log on and play for an hour or two a night, I can gain two or three levels in that hour or two with heirlooms. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm not blazing through levels like I was 
but I, I wouldn't call it slow by any stretch of the imagination, not with the heirlooms in place. So I'm not unhappy with it. I actually think it's kind of fun. And I like how we get the option of choice because we didn't have that before. Anyway, moving on. Um, we decided that we'd go ahead and address some reader emails this week because we haven't really gotten to emails in a few weeks here. So uh, if you guys do have any emails for Lorewatch, you can send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just be sure to put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. Um, we have quite a few, and we're probably going to go off the rails, so I don't know if we're going to get to all of these. <laughs> but why not take a stab at it? Speaking of taking a stab, I'm going to jump to the second email in the list here because <laughs> I actually like this one a lot. Um, this one doesn't have a name on it, but they said, Hi guys! I was just watching the cinematic for the end of Andorus, and I noticed the force that Sargeras uses to plunge the sword into Azeroth. It formed a cone of fire around it, meaning it was going at least at speeds reaching Mach 2, 1,534.54 miles per hour. They're getting very technical here. Which would be causing a ton of damage to Azeroth. Do you think there were any other types of consequences that went along with this? In Cataclysm, we see that it caused the prisons of the old gods to weaken because of the heightened interference of the Twilight's hammer and the entirety of the Twilight Highlands. Could this be the final piece to break Nazoth out of his prison? If you have any thoughts, that'd be great. I have one thought to say right off the bat. Um, I finished Antorus the other day. I went ahead and finished it on LFR, so I got to see all the cinematics in context and everything else, including that last one. And then I went to Silithus to go do the Silithus quests that were out there. That sword is huge. Like, mm -hmm. it's it's huge. Not only is it huge, though, it's buried in Silithus almost up to the hilt. So how long is that sword? Like, is it poking out the backside of Azeroth? Do we know? It didn't look to be that big when you look at, like, it doesn't look to be big enough that it would be poking out the back end of Azeroth. It looks like it would be, like, 30 miles into the planet, though. Yeah. And that's the problem with that is, again, I always say to myself when I'm talking about any of this stuff, I don't know how much of this actually matters scientific. Like, when you start getting into the science of it, I don't know how much of it is explainable with magic. Like, Azeroth doesn't want to blow up, so it's probably going to do magic stuff so it doesn't blow up. Uh, it is certainly true that the impact of that sword would have caused serious geological problems. Well, but there's the whole, well, I don't know, but it is a very big sword. Like just flying up it, like I if you go to the top of it, have you tried to? Yeah. Like it, it, it's, it's, it doesn't work out well for you. Yeah. It's, it's but very here's, large. Here's the thing. I think the problem, right. Is that if you keep thinking about it as a sword in the traditional sense, Yes. I can understand where, like, you could, you know, you just jam this giant piece of metal into, you know, another giant object. Things are going to be terrible, right? Like, it's going to be absolutely awful. But it's essentially Titan essence. Like, it's crafted from Titan stuff. Like, that that's Tastelac's thing. So, like, it what doesn't that necessarily... What is crafted from? Like, how was that one forged? Rossi, do you know off the top of your head? You're a weapons guy. They changed it from the original origin, which was that it was he originally hid the sword he carried, and then he broke it fighting Agrimar. Uh, then now it seems to be along the lines of Agrimar's sword got broken when he when Sargeras went at each other, and mm -hmm. it was just always his sword. It's with the weapons of the Titans, they're as much the Titan as the Titan is. Like you see it when you watch the cinematic, you see it. He pulls that sword out of nowhere. Yeah, he forms it. He forms he just, it. It just from manifests. Him, yeah. He just calls. He calls up Tasselock, and it is essentially like a big sword that is Sargeras. It's, for lack of a better word, it is like if your weapons were just you. Like if you just brought mm -hmm. forth the personification of your magic in 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 sword form or dagger form or whatever. It that's what that thing is. So he left a piece of himself behind when he stabbed the planet. Yeah, and that's what I'm getting at. Like, you look at it like that way, we don't know how that would really be. Because, like, when you talk about, like, Cataclysm, you talk about, you know, Deathwing busting out through the Maelstrom and essentially weakening the walls between the elemental planes, that's slightly different than, a to me, a piece of Titan being injected into a Titan. Because that's essentially what it is. Yeah, I was going to say, you were saying that the weapon, Sargeras's weapon, isn't necessarily a traditional weapon. Well, right. Azeroth isn't necessarily our traditional idea of a planet, planet yeah. either. Um, who knows what Azeroth looks like on the inside? 
Yeah, we just know that it's got places for old gods in there. There's and... no there's no lava in the middle. It's like a, it's like a metropolis down there. Like you 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 drill through and you're in this underground city. There's a world soul there just chilling, hanging out. There's a bunch of cages, angry dudes, yeah, like, tentacles everywhere. <laughs> like like I imagine that the the core of the planet looks like a star actually. And I I think of that because of the uh the short um oh bloody heck, the the radio play thing. Um, yeah, a thousand years a thousand of... years more. Yeah, I think of that because they describe um, the the world soul of Argus as an emerald star or an emerald which, sun, which would and make that's, sense. That's why I think of I think of the uh, world soul as like this big seething star or small star like thing at the core, and then the planet wrapped around it, kind of like pearl layers. I, I can't get away from that idea of of the the planets that have Titan souls as like pearls of reality formed around this essence of seething arcane power that is like fr- strangely fragile because it's in a in a universe that isn't designed for it and that's why they need to form a planet and that's why they need to incubate before they can come forth into full power as a titan plus that's there's why tentacles down there lots of tentacles yes there's there's a lot of tentacles i actually find myself wondering how much of your sarge got pulled out like you you think like all of him got out like do you think he ripped the age to scoop no, it all out i think no they they i think in Chronicle, I think it said something like he tore it apart, like he like popped part of it apart. He sundered it. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. He didn't pull the whole thing out of there. He pulled just enough that he disrupted enough that it was like wound in the world because this thing was embedded so deeply in the planet, um, which is gross when you think about it. And also, we know that like the middle of the world, there must be titan blood in there too because it's constantly seeping to the surface mm-hmm. thanks to you know Amonthol and i find myself wondering if the titan blood is in fact normal under under normal circumstances if it's not liquid at all if yeah. it only turns liquid when it's exposed because we, we got it from the well of eternity and mm-hmm. we got it from like the most recent stabbing if it, it's it's seeping up again it's crystallized but, there yeah it, it's crystallized when it hits the because that clotting is it the equivalent of clotting does the stuff like normally like, or is it Sargeras's else? weapon that's like influencing this or something? Are we going to end up with another Well of Eternity in Silithus once all this is over with? Maybe. I mean, there's some. That I don't would be get crazy. Too, and I don't want to talk neat. into. I don't want to talk about too many spoiler things, but some of the things I'm seeing are, are leading me towards either either that way, or we're going to see a whole wild set of transformations as a result of it at a much more rapid rate than just the trolls living next to the well. That's going to be really weird and kind of cool. I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, thank you for the question as far as the question goes. Oh, I guess say one more thing before you. Sure. We, we, I just thought about this. Um, I've actually been stabbed. Uh, and <laughs> okay. One of, the things, one of the things they tell you, like when I got stabbed. I'm glad you're um, okay. Yo, yeah, this was this was. Don't pull the don't pull it out. Don't pull it out. Yep. Um, Rossi, you're not the only one that's been stabbed. Cheers, mate. Yeah, it's it's. I was thinking about. Am I the only person on this podcast has never been stabbed? Well, I've also been shot with an arrow. Has that happened to you guys? I uh, got shot in the leg with an arrow. (laughs) Me too. I was like. Okay, this has nothing to do with anything, but yeah, me and Joe apparently get hurt a lot. I thought I had a colorful <laughs> history, but I've got nothing on you. I mean, I've stepped on a nail before, but like. But yeah, anyway, when you get a puncture wound, one of the especially if it's like in a in a relatively vital area, one of the first things they tell you is not to pull it out. Right. So I find myself wondering: are, is is Azeroth just stuck with Sargeras's sword stuck in it, like indefinitely? And is that going to lead to anything bad in the future? Like, is this? Is Sargeras going to come back for it well, somehow? Or there's stuff to think about here. That sword is Sargeras. Part it is, but I'm wondering too. Like, and this is where I would like my brain started going with this. We've been on Azeroth has been gestating for a very long time. I don't know what a mature piece of Titan energy will do, and if that's going to force Azeroth to maybe wake up sooner than later. Like, I just, I, it just, there's so many things that could happen as a result of this. It's weird to think about, honestly. It's just weird to think about. But let's go ahead and move on to another email here, and we're just going to jump back to the first email on the list. Um, I just, I've, I thought since we were talking about impaling, maybe we should go ahead and answer that one first. Uh, this one is from Nuggles, who's a troll priest on Arthas, who says, Wondering how Void Elves make sense lore-wise as a new subrace. 
It's allied race, but whatever. Aren't there already void elves in the game called Blood Elf and Night Elf Shadow Priests? Not rules. Um, no, mm, not quite no. the same thing. Uh, maybe along the same lines, but not the same thing. There's a difference between worshipping the shadow and d- pulling power from the void and essentially becoming one with the void, like, and, and dominating it. Shadow priests use the void as a tool, mm-hmm. kind of. And then from everything that we've seen, and we keep in mind that we really haven't seen the origins of the void elves yet, like it hasn't been spelled out to us yet, um, that material hasn't been released yet, but from everything that we've seen so far, at least with Alaria, being a void elf means like actually, well, like you said, Joe, becoming one with the void, like embracing the void. It, it's almost to me, it's almost very similar to like how demon hunters basically take the power from a demon and then dominate it. It's the same thing, at least from what I'm seeing from what we have so far, that seems to be what void elves are doing. And that's a little more ballsy is the only thing I could really think of to say about it because like that 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 takes some serious it's involved it's an involved yeah. process very very involved process but like and that's what it, it seems to me that it's something a little more powerful a little more a little yeah. more dedicated you could look at it this way too shadow priests could be considered the warlocks of this where they don't they're not making it part of themselves or just using it they aren't you know? a demon they're just something yeah. that's using the demonic yeah. power it's like the the difference between like a a warlock and a demon hunter is the difference between like a shadow priest and a void elf. A void elf is literally delved into it to the point where it has changed them physically. It is altering their bodies. They're they're physically different. You look at them and you can see they're not the same anymore. To the point where they need to like actually come to terms with it. Whereas a shadow priest, sure, a shadow priest, you know, they have class abilities where they surrender to the madness, but that's not quite the same thing would be my argument and i'm pretty sure that the void elves the one thing that they don't do is surrender to the void like yeah they they they're in charge they've got like a cognizant control over it um but again you know we'll find out more about that when the allied races actually become playable i'm pretty sure because those allied races are going to have some kind of introductory storyline involved with them that should explain what they are. And I mean, some of these allied races, we already know what they are. We we know what the Nightborn are. We, we've been interacting with the Nightborn for forever. We know what the High Mountain Tauren are. We've been, there was an entire zone dedicated to helping them out. Um, we know what the Lightforged Jornai are. We've been helping them out on Argus all this time. There's that big long audio drama that kind of explains where the Army of the Light came from and where the Lightforged came from. So, all of that is information that we have to work with already. And I'm you could kind of I guess you could kind of apply the same thing to Dark Iron Dwarves too, because we've dealt with them before, although I don't I think the context is going to change a little bit. Same thing with the Xandalar. We've dealt with them before, but the context is changing here because we're actually going to Xandalar and we're going to Colteris and we're doing different things. Um the Void Elves are entirely new. Like, mm-hmm. we're seeing the genesis of these guys right now on Argus, and we don't really understand it. I don't even know if Valeria understands really fully what's going on. I think she does, in a way, but how she chooses to teach others to do that, I don't know. Um, well, there's, I, I, I have seen a little of the data mine stuff, but God knows if they're going to, you know, actually put it into the game in that form, because they can always again, take stuff out. Yeah, it's data mine stuff. It's not, uh, the yeah, it's data not mine in the material. game right now. Data mine material, I mean, I don't mind looking at data mine stuff as long as we, you know, look at it and take everything that's there with a grain of salt because that data mine stuff, it may or may not make it into the live version of the game. Um, yeah, ask, and I th- ask Ramath about that. Yeah, ask Ramath about that. <laughs> anyway, thank you for the question, Nuggle. Sorry we couldn't give you more of an answer, more of a detailed answer, but I'm pretty sure as soon as those allied races become you know available for play and we can play them and experience that ourselves and see what makes them tick we'll be able to look at that stuff a little more closely all right uh next email is from rochambeau who's a torn shaman this is kind of a lengthy email so i'm gonna kind of try and um uh make this a little shorter so they say sup lord nerds sup with you uh, they said, in the recent episodes I've listened to, you guys talk about the Shadowlands, the Void, and Odin's Eye. 
and it's come up more than once, and I came up with a somewhat simple possibility behind this. It's a stretch to be sure, but what if Locust Walker is the one with Odin's eye? I know Void isn't equal to the Shadowlands, but we also know that shadow magic stems from the Void. Why is Locust Walker the only one who can't go crazy due to the Void? Why is he the only one? Thousands of Years of War showed us Alaria copes by finding some truths to ground her. Maybe Locust Walker uses the eye to see the truth in a more literal way. I see. Eh, eh. I'm ready for this to be shot down, so have at it. It's not as fun as some Death Lord God who made the Lich King, in my opinion. Walk with the Earth Mother, Rochambeau, Torrin Shaman. This is uh, kind of an interesting theory, though. Yeah, my problem with it is basically that there's no such... like. When Helia summons forth the creature from the Shadowlands, she doesn't summon a void entity at all. She summons a death entity. That's right. what the Shadowlands are. They're a death yeah. place. They're not a void place. Um, I mean, it would be cool uh, to, if they could use Locust Walker. We could see more about him. How so much could, do we really if, know about Locust Walker yeah, and his nothing. origins? Well, Bubkiss. We know that he's an ethereal. We know that Is he an uh, ethereal? Uh, he looks like an ethereal and acts like an ethereal. Uh, we don't know more than that. Yeah, it is right. certainly possible we could find out something else. It it would be interesting if we find out that the way something deals with the void is by using death magic. Because if you think about it, the light believes only one true thing. The void believes every possibility is possibly true. Death, cause death's answer could be nothing matters because you're all going to die. And that could be a way to get through it. You know, You don't go crazy because you keep that that truth in mind we're all gonna die everything dies everything ends even old gods end everything dies and you die and then you come here yeah the, so, the whole everything must pass yeah yeah so that that'd be interesting i would need to see more from locust walker before this just becomes locust walker is actually interesting in that we know so little about him that he becomes a real emplor as exemplar of the whole idea of anything could be true i was literally say, anything could be um... true I feel like we need to talk about Locust Walker a little bit because he is this really enigmatic figure and we okay. don't know very much about him other than supposedly he's an ethereal. He's the only one who seems to have mastered the void in this way. All of the other ones kind of go a little bit nuts or act strangely or whatever. What's different about him? So the curious thing about that, though, is is like the same way that Illyria grounds herself. She grounds herself with some truths like things that are universal things that that she knows cannot be changed or they just are and the question is what could possibly he have that allows him to do the same and i i get that's where this this sort of question comes from and to me part of that is the other ones that have sort of gone insane um i'm wondering how much of that is born from despair because you see your home planet overrun by the void and what does that do to something like what does that do to something like imagine us as a player character we come back and we see azeroth completely enveloped in void how would our characters react like would you go back to worshiping it like a shadow priest worships the void and saying yes you know this is this is as it should be yay or would you just fall so far into despair that your brain just kind of breaks so i'm really curious about that um, or is it because they were trying to be so analytical about it, trying to understand what happened to their planet so hard that they sort of looked into the void, they looked into that madness and were completely overwhelmed by it, whereas Locust Walker may have said, yes, this is uh, maybe along Rossi's, my planet's this, it's gone, this is it, and this is the truth of it, I can't save it, it's never coming back. Maybe that's the truth that grind that that grounds Locust Walker versus all the others. Maybe he doesn't necessarily have that same despair because he doesn't have that same hope. If that makes sense, I, I'm not sure if that does. But no, what, I, there's the problem with it is that we, like I said, we don't know enough about him to know anything, and that's the the whole void's whole point is that since everything is potentially true, nothing can be known. You can't if you can't pick out something as the 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 truth nothing if you can't make a determination then it doesn't matter if everything is potentially true it's not applicable you can't use it you can't make a decision if all you have are potentials and none of them have any reason to pick one over the other that that to me strikes me as like how most people will go crazy you'd be trying to there, there's an old experiment they, they did a few years back where you sever someone's corpus callosum and they have trouble making decisions because they can't necessarily come up with emotional reasons to do things. Now imagine if you had 
every potentiality laid out before you and you had no idea why one was better than the other and they all seem to be just as valid that could drive anybody crazy that could make anyone insane because you just you're constantly faced with all these you know what if i go this path my world will be devoured by this by the void if i go in this path my world will be devoured by the void okay um what do i do which one is better there's that whole idea of the void the void being too broad the void having too many potential possibilities whereas the, the light only illuminates one the light is you know darkness is everywhere the light is it's a limited thing it points to something you you illuminate something with it if you illuminate one thing you're not illuminating something else but if you're you know everything can be dark uh there's it's a it's a fascinating idea i don't i know nothing about nexus walker so i can't say what what does he have that keeps him from going crazy maybe he doesn't have anything that keeps him from going crazy it's just that he doesn't care like if none of it bothers him none of it matters to him maybe he's just that selfish because you you look at his actions in the in the audio play and he's incredibly selfish he doesn't care about anything she's saying to him she's telling him i gotta get back it's my husband's whatever i don't care what does that do for me what does that have to do with the void and mastering it no you're gonna master the void that's the deal we made why is that deal important to him what what is he has something seriously invested in it because he he threatens her you guys remember that right yeah Mm mm-hmm so there's something going on there. He needs somebody else like himself. He's, he's the uh, only one. That's the weird part. Yeah. And he hasn't been able to get a single ethereal. They all break. He's been trying to get another ethereal to do this, and they've all broken. But Valeria can do it, and she does it in a way that is completely anathema to him. He doesn't understand the concept of caring. Like Her truth is that she'd never hurt her son. She'd lie down and let him cut her throat before she'd hurt him. Like, if he came charging at her full of holy vengeance, she'd just stand there and let him kill her. That's her truth, that she'd never hurt him. He doesn't have that. He doesn't care about anybody, and he's, he's very upfront about it. He is, he doesn't, he's not interested in any of this that's going on. The universe is on the brink of destruction, and he could give a rat's, you know? It's kind of fascinating, too, because we're, we're not sure where he came from exactly. I'm assuming that he was part of the Ethereum, because the Ethereum... I mean, okay, so the Ethereal, uh, on their home world, they had like three or four different factions, right? There's a consortium, we've dealt with them before on Outland, there's the Protectorate, the Protectorate are basically there to stop the Ethereum. The Ethereum were the ruling class on Karesh way back in the day, um, and they had to leave. They had to leave because Dementius was going to destroy the planet. Where the other two factions have kind of gone and done their own thing, the Ethereum went a little weird. They kind of went dark and twisted, and they've been trying to find Dementius. They've been trying... Well, that's that whole thing that plays out kind of when you're in Netherstorm. There's that whole bit about Dementius, and and you get that explanation into their backstory and everything. Um, They've turned down this path of vengeance kind of in the same way that demon hunters have turned down a path of vengeance and you know when you made that correlation earlier Rossi it made me think of the ethereal here and the ethereum in particular because they embrace the void as a means to an end they want to get rid of the void like they want their vengeance on the void for what the void did to their world and in so doing they've kind of become these dark twisted versions of themselves now i'm assuming that lore locust walker lore walker locust walker was one of these guys at one point because he's obviously he's he's a void ethereal um or at least he looks like one so what made him different because there's something there. Something there made him different where none of the other ones were different. Um, and it's kind of fascinating. We don't really know anything about this guy other than the little hints and bits and pieces. And I know you mentioned that he's got to have some kind of agenda. Yeah, I think he does. What that agenda is, though, man, I haven't got the slightest clue. I mean, yeah, because there's not enough out there yet. We haven't seen enough of him. We know that he worked with at least one other ethereal because when you're on the uh, – oh, bloody heck, I can't remember the name of the ship. The Vindicar. Yeah, when you're on the Vindicar, there's that, that ethereal down in the basement who's like, don't talk to me about that guy. Yep. Yeah, he, he was – there was like a – oh, what did he call him? It was like a disreputable individual and apparently 
he was looking for a financier for a project that sounded profi- profitable or something, but he never repaid the investment. So, so there's like bad blood going there. So this guy is known, like the other ethereal know about this guy, and they also know enough about him to know that whatever he's up to, it's just shady stuff and not in the void, evil, whatever kind of way, just in the usual cutthroat ethereal kind of way. Um, so it's obvious that like there's more to Locust Walker than they're telling us, and I don't know if the Void Elf storyline is going to kind of delve into that more or if maybe that's just one of those things we're going to explore in Battle for Azeroth because I'm pretty sure that Battle for Azeroth, we're going to be spending at least part of our time addressing the Void or talking about the Void with an allied race like the Void Elves that are kind of composed of the Void that's a subject that kind of needs to be delved into more deeply than it has been, I think Um, it's an interesting thought, I don't know I really I really don't know. Anyway, we should probably move on to another email. And this one actually is also from Rochambeau, who apparently decided to throw us several theories here. So I figured, ah, we'll just go ahead and talk about them both here. Okay. Um, so the second email says, just some thoughts I had while listening to the most recent episode. And they're talking about the one that we were talking about last week with uh, Ogmoth the Mad and the uh, strange writings and everything. Uh Rochambeau says, couldn't the boy king refer to Odin? He isn't really a king, nor is he a boy, but his actions over time seem to be fairly rash and made in haste. He seems to also assume he's correct, and boys tend to be fairly arrogant. (laughs) He was also for a time bound to his throne in the Halls of Valor, even though he was Javi the whole time. Not entirely sure what his three lies would be, but that's where you guys come in, because you're smart at lore and stuff. I feel uh, like trying to push Odin into that is really stretching it. That's that's not. I think so too. It. Yeah. But at the same time, that the the bound to his throne bit, he was because he was stuck there in the halls of valor. Like he could not leave. Helia bound him there. And yeah, but he in fact he could leave. He just couldn't like leave in full manifestation. So it was really kind of a. It's it's messed up the way they did Odin being trapped in the halls of valor because he he was leaving and he was sending people through. It's just that he had to really push to do it. It's I don't know. I, I don't well, I feel mean, like it works as well. But. but I can see I can see where the mentality is coming from at least for the line of thinking because some of it uh, I could see that too. And maybe it doesn't apply to Odin, but I'm wondering if it applies to anybody else. Mm. Making making rash decisions born out of either ignorance or in such a manner as a child would make them. And the idea of being bound to the throne, well, a throne couldn't be a metaphor for literally anything. It could be you're bound to your programming, you're bound to a course of action, you're bound to a path that that, that you can't deviate from. And I think if you start thinking about it that way, it might actually maybe expand who we could start qualifying as sort of like the boy king. Um I'd have to think about who could possibly fit in that because that, that, those parameters sort of expanded out way far. But it's an interesting way to think about those those signifiers, right? Well, just to go along with you guys here, just so you, one thing Odin lies about is what happened with Helia. Um, yeah, he does. About three lies. He lies. He specifically says when you look at the if you're up in the warrior class hall, if you look at the things that are written about what happened, he says that he tried to save her, that she went crazy. And tried to you know draw on too much shadow magic, and he was forced to basically make her into a Valkyr. That 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 she forced that on him. That's not true. He straight up did that to her after mm-hmm. she refused to to make the Valkyr for him. She was like, "No, this is crazy," and he was like, "No, nope, fine, then you'll do it." That's so. That's one of his lies. Um, I don't know what his other lies are. Uh, there's certainly he did throw a hissy fit over the whole dragons thing. Like he hated that. He a lot of his a lot of his reactions to a lot of things over time do seem like kind of immature immature ways to respond to things. You know what I mean? Did he ever actually tell us why he wanted us to go after Helia? Oh, because she made him angry by uh, if you're talking about why we go into the raid to kill her finally, Mm -hmm. uh, he's she's actually making Cavaldir out of people that he's already picked. She's she's making Cavaldir out of uh, the Stormforged, and that was yeah. Nope, that's his last straw. He wants her dead because she's she's. And to be fair, this is not something we didn't know. She's been targeting him 
too. She was sure him throughout there. So sure. Sure. But that, it took a while to get there at that point. And I feel like he may have had an ulterior motive and it may not have been a complete truth that that's why he wanted her dead because like you made your first point, he was trapped, couldn't really push out in full manifestation because she bound him there when we kill her. Oh, he tells you up front that he wants that to be done. He's not subtle about this. He's straight up. There's no secrecy here. He wants her dead because she's been interfering with him for like millennia. He absolutely wants her dead because of that. He, he tells you he does not hide that. I'm not saying that Odin isn't a liar. I'm saying that he doesn't lie about that specific thing. He doesn't. I don't need to believe he needs ulterior motives in that one because he's up front. You know, no, it's her fault. She's bound me here. I haven't been able to get out. Um, my people, I can't send the the Valajar out to help in the war effort. You, we got to kill her so that I can actually be involved. He's straight up. He f- he does a lot of tricky it, manipulative is he BS. Though? Is he though? Because what else does Odin get out of the queen? Oh, he of... tells you that too. He tells you that too, though. He tells you even when when you kill her, he's like, I haven't been to Alduar in so long. Maybe I'll go back. Uh-huh. He wants to be prime designate again. He's upfront about that too. I, I, I'm not saying he isn't deceptive. I'm sure he is deceptive, but he's blustery in his deception. Do you know what I mean? Like he's right. one of those guys who when he decepts, he deceives you by telling you the truth to your face and hoping you don't ask any questions about it. That kind of lie. He's not the kind of liar who he's not like Loken who comes up with a whole bunch of stuff. He, like No, Odin. Odin is to tell, will tell you half of it and hope you don't look in any further. Well, Helia was ruling over Helheim, right? And now nobody's ruling over it, supposedly. Right. So what happens to all of the cursed and fallen Rykel that don't go to the Halls of Valor? Or do they all go to the Halls of Valor now? I don't know, because he didn't want all of them in the first place. Yeah. Uh, he, he, I don't know what's going on there. And for that matter, there's a lot more to Odin and Helia than we even really know. What, like, what so. happens to Helheim now if Helia isn't there anymore? Well, that's a, they, there actually is some stuff there. When you, when you go into the game, um, I don't know if it's for everybody or just for warriors, but he sends you to Helheim after Helia is dead. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he does. Um, I think it's for the mount, actually, but I'm not 100% on the, top, on the top of my head. You have to go in and you're, like, looking for things for him, like, in, in Helheim. And there's, like, factions who are, like, squabbling and fighting there now. Uh, so there is actually stuff going on in Helheim after Helia dies. So okay. I'll have to go back and, and actually... Is it anything work- that benefits Odin? Well, yeah, because he's the one who sends you. Uh, for that well, matter, I mean, the he... stuff that's going on down there is all of the stuff that's going on down there. Is that is that providing a distraction? Is that benefiting Odin in some way now that she's gone? Beyond his whole, okay, I can leave the Halls of Valor now. I could go back to Ulduar. I could go do all this other stuff. Be Prime Designate, whatever. Is there anything else in Helia's destruction that benefits Odin? Because well, we're talking about, I mean, summoned... what was her purpose? What was her purpose in Helheim? Well, she was the whole reason Helheim existed was because she forged it out. Um, mm-hmm. The reason that she did that was originally she was his chief um, Valkyr, like the Gayer right. now. Right. Uh, and the reason that she was the, but the whole thing is this all goes back to the deal he made. Yeah. With with the the Shadowland entity, uh, where he he didn't he didn't have the ability to open a portal to the Shadow Realms. No. None. She did. She's the one that opened it. She's the one that facilitated that deal. Um, I don't know what that means, but I honestly feel like it's that deal that she facilitated that allowed her to banish him in the first place. Because obviously he had to sacrifice something of himself in a ritual she did. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and, and the question is what did what was her deal? Because if this thing's in a deal-making mood, right? And, and this thing is like, yeah, sure, I'll make a deal, but I'm going to need your eye. And Helia's like, I I want freedom from this, but th- this isn't this isn't working for me. What do you want to give me what I need to get out of this? So it, the question is like, what did she give up, and does that align with whatever creature existed or or entity being whatever that made the deal with? Like, what if that was the whole point? Yeah, and it's it goes back to like you know when she made Helheim, um, she basically went down there and and made it herself that's that's a, a realm created by her before right. that the, the 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 dead souls of the of the Freikul just hung out in the shadowlands right and just, she had to open like a gateway or whatever yeah she and there's like she basically used the same magic she used to trap him 
to create it. She, that's the thing about Helia. Helia knows the magic to create realms. She can create like the elemental planes or the halls of valor or her own realm. She can do that. That's something that most of the others don't know. That's really fascinating because you think about it. One other being on Azeroth knows that magic. High Keeper Ra. Yeah. And he's not, he's not dealing with anybody. The last we saw him, he noped out of the basement of the throne of thunder. And we haven't heard from that guy since. Nope. And right now, does Odin know that magic? Like, he saw her do it, but he doesn't seem to have the ability to do it. Well, he had to have her call the entity from the Shadowlands, and he had to hand over his eyeball. So I would assume that that's just weird. There's something about that whole situation that's just off, and I can't put my finger on it. And And, and Sylvanas is kind of involved in this, too, because Sylvanas made that deal where she got the soul cage from Helia in exchange for something. Yeah, and we don't know what. We don't know what yeah. that something was. Now, presumably that deal's been invalidated because the soul cage is gone, thanks to um, Greymane. And Helia's gone, thanks to yeah, us. So all of that is null and void, but... but Maybe. But that doesn't mean that, like, we don't need to know the conditions of that deal anymore. Because it's like, well, what it, what was Sylvanas up to? See, I keep wondering to myself, there's two things I keep wondering to myself. One is, uh, is Helia gone? Just because she got killed doesn't mean she's gone. Uh, she was already like a you know she was already kind of undead, like an undead titan. And secondly, just because the 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 soul lantern got destroyed, the soul cage doesn't mean that Helia wouldn't still hold Sylvanas to the deal. And if Helia's not gone, I expect that she's going to pop up and hold Sylvanas to the deal. The oh, deal yeah. wasn't you get what you want. The deal was you get this. I gave it to you. It's not my fault you didn't hold on to it. Do you know what I mean? Like this, Helia does not strike. Helia held up her. Of... She, she held up her end of the bargain. That was yeah. that was. It. I will give you this item. Here you That's got it. this item. It. Yep. There is no. <laughs> there's no yeah. extended warranty plan with Soul yeah. Cage. Yeah, exactly. I, and I do find myself. <laughs> you didn't wondering... buy the product protection plan. You just got the Soul Cage here. I'm just. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, what does this mean for Sylvanas? And is Helia? That's the other important question: is is Helia really dead? See, and that's the thing, like, I don't like the Titans. I'm not entirely convinced she can actually die. I mean, she's a Titanforge. She, she was a Titanforge watcher that got turned into this Valkyr thing. Sure. And we know that the Valkyr can die because Sylvanas we? made the deal. Well, Sylvanas made well, the deal with the Valkyr where she exchanged, like, their souls are going to whatever shadowy lands, whatever, where they're Sylvanas going was. To the Shadowlands. They're going to the Shadowlands. In place of hers. In place of that, hers. Sure, but that doesn't necessarily mean dead. And especially at that time where... No, no, guys, 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 wait, wait a second. I think... Uh, go for it, Rossi. I think Ooh. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Sylvanas, no. Sylvanas is currently got a rotating door out of the Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. She has Valkyr who go to the Shadowlands for her. So she, if she was to die, she gets raised, right? She wanted the soul cage so she could get more Valkyr. But if she's still got some, right? Yeah, she does. A few. And Valkyr are subordinate to Helia. Mm-hmm. And Helia was in Helheim, which is in the Shadowlands. It's possible That's... that Sylvanas is... Helia's get out of death free card. I was just going to say that. Yep. If now that Sylvanas is wandering around as war chief of the Horde, it's not entirely clear to me that Helia is not also wandering around as war chief of the Horde, or at least can get out anytime she wants through Ooh. Sylvanas. And I mean, and rate in in having a war right in which you're slaying a whole bunch of really powerful warriors is a great way to bolster numbers if you're amassing still souls in the Shadowlands. Most most Forsaken are former humans. Yep. Humans are former, are the descendants of the the Vrykul. Yep. That would make them subject to the same deal as the Vrykul themselves when it comes to the Valkyr. And it's a great great reason why somebody might potentially be looking to sack Stormwind. Oh, so are we saying maybe Sylvanas isn't playing with a full deck, or she's playing with a f- two full decks? 
like her deck and Helia's deck at the same time? That's well, certainly one possibility. Yeah. The other might be that Helia's Helia might be influencing her, or they might, you know, for all we know, they met when Sylvanas went to the Shadowlands the second time, because that's the time where the Valkyr had to sacrifice itself to get her to get back up after uh when she jumped Dr- off the frozen throne. No, no, the second time when Godfrey Oh, the did. oh yep, when Godfrey, Godfrey shot her, yeah. Because that's the that's when they actually had to do it. Before that it was a deal they'd struck. And the first one among them was the one that made the made the trip that time. But then the second time it, it's it's not like Helia to not notice somebody doing this. Yeah. And especially if they do it again. And she like imagine Sylvanas ends up down there, and Helia's like, "Who are you? Well, Why do you it's keep also, coming back and leave?" Well, so it, at the core of it, and I think Rossi hit it, which is what I was gonna, I was going that same direction, is if they're subordinate to Helia, right? Ultimately, and they're the ones making the deals. There's no way in heck that Helia didn't okay that deal. And also, Helia doesn't exactly seem like one who had a lack of control over her realm, really. Well, those Vicol that Sylvanas made the deal with, they were subservient to the Lich King because the were Lich they? King, yeah, because the Lich King had and... had like exerted his dominance over those particular Vrykul or those particular Valkyr. So they were up there at the Frozen Throne because the original, like the Arthas Lich King, was gone, and they were still chained there because there was another Lich King on the throne. They had no way. To, to get out they had no way to escape they made that deal with Sylvanas in part so that they could leave mm-hmm. so they weren't that, bound to the Lich King anymore that's actually that might work along the idea that we've had all along that it's possible that the Lich King is involved in that Shadowlands entity yep. that's I, exactly I what like I was going to say to be. and then the other thing that I'm wondering is well, like Okay. Well, to back it up, back it up one second though, because there is still a lich king there right now too. Yeah, that there could is, exert that control and power. The, the other thing that I want to point out, and and the question that I want to ask here is that when Arthas dies, he says, "I see only darkness before me." When Sylvanas died, all she saw was darkness. Like there was, there was nothing. Was that the Shadowlands or was that the void? Like what was that? I think it was a special cage in the Shadowlands, honestly, because because I mean, so. Going back to the Arthas thing, when we talk, when we actually go through the book and they actually do the description of like how everything is going on, for lack of a better term, inside of his head, it really is sort of like, okay, so in Supernatural, when like Bobby, the character Bobby is dying, the lights are going out one by one for all of these memories until everything comes down to like a final room. And that's also the same way that the Arthas book sort of portrayed it where, you know, as these bits and pieces of who you used to be sort of wink out of existence it goes dark and it sort of traps you almost into like for what I interpret it as almost like an engine room, right? Like you become fuel, you become something that just continues on with the cycle, but that's it. You, you don't have this lovely existence anymore. You don't have these memories. You don't have the things that used to make I'm you remembering like I'm remembering you, the you become a burned out. Right. I'm remembering the Arthas book and I'm remembering like the end of the Arthas book. And it always struck me as kind of interesting because they, it was like a conversation between the Arthas part of the Lich King and the mm-hmm. Ner'zhul part of the Lich who, King. Who happened to be in the same place, at the same trapped in it the was, same sort of entity. It was yeah. like they were sitting at a dining room table or something. I don't remember how it was described yeah, they were, exactly. Yeah, they were, they, were they were at a table in a great hall, essentially. And that was the only thing that existed. Like, they didn't yes. describe anything else there. It was just that one room with the table. And that's what I'm and that's what I'm thinking is that I'm thinking when you pay your due to whatever entity is basically holding sway over this that maybe all you see is darkness because there's nothing literally there for you to see because that's your prison that's your deal that's that's sort of your your not necessarily your bargain but that's your fate because we've gone to the shadowlands we've been there we've been there a we've couple seen times it, and, and it's, there's more there than just darkness yes and absolutely there is. I mean, and when we die, we essentially see a sort of version of it. But I mean, Death Knights physically go there to go get their horse. And well, it's to, you know, you guys know that the in lore, the spirit healer is a is a Valkyr. Yes, that's what it is. That you allows see. you to go back through the door, which why does this Valkyr do that? I mean, my theory on why? that is that it's to keep the again, to keep certain things away from Odin, maybe. Because if we're not dead, Odin can't claim the souls of the warriors. Well, these are the spirit healers. They're they're uncorrupted Valkyr who chose to remain in the Shadowlands and assist the dead. Like they made that that was a conscious choice on their part. Yeah, they chose not to join Helia. 
Yeah. And after Odin was imprisoned, yeah, after Odin was imprisoned, they decided to stick around in the Shadowlands and assist the dead in returning to the land of the living instead of Why are they why are they helping us? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe think it's a third it. faction, just like the Ethereum. Think about what's going on. Playable here. Valkyr. Um, no. Um. <laughs> but, uh, <seriously, laughs> let's make them an allied race. <laughs> like, you can actually fall in love with them, and they can love you back because at least our as your dragon. Yeah, as your totally. Yeah, he fell in love with one of them. They have personalities. They have. They they've got an agenda. So there's something like there's some there could be an entire expansion in the future just set in the Shadowlands. And I mean, there's it would stuff be, going on there. It would be really great, too, because, I mean, the, the possibility opening up of, like, the reason they chose that is because they don't agree with, you know, the deal Helia made, and they don't agree with Odin and his plans for anything. So they're like, no, we're just going to keep either of you from getting anything that you want because it's not right. So we're here and doing something like that. And then it goes back to that shadow entity that whatever Odin made the deal with, you know, very clearly, or at least to me at least, there's a need for our army. There's a need for souls. Souls are power in some manner here. Whether it's, you know, you become the Vrykrul, um version of either the Fallen or the Champion, or you become whatever shadow entity warrior is necessary or, or that they're looking to accumulate. Like, there's there's some cool stuff that could be done here. There's a lot of weird, nifty things that could potentially be done with this. It's so weird. The whole thing is really weird to think about. Okay, so Rochambeau, I'm pretty sure that's not the direction you wanted us to go. (laughs) But we went there anyway, because that's just what we do on this show. We go a little bit nuts. Anyway, that kind of actually wraps us up for time here a little bit. I think we're going to have to wrap up the show here. Uh, Again, if you have an email for the show, you can go ahead and send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. And just make sure you put Lorewatch in the subject line, and we will go ahead and address it on a future show if we've got the time to do so. Um, Blizzard Watch, it's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch, and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on a podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, the listeners of Lore Watch and Blizzard Watch, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You could sign up through blizzardwatch.com slash audible. Uh, they have, I think, the majority of the Blizzard books that are available as audiobook versions. They have them available. You can pick that for your 30-day trial if you want to with your uh, free download. Um, I'm not sure if Arthas is one of those books. I think it is. And if so, yeah. If you haven't if you haven't experienced the Arthas novel, it's very interesting. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in there, and it's worth checking out. Anyway, again, you can download any of those Blizzard titles, or, you know, they have thousands of others available, too. Just sign up through blizzardwatch.com audible. Final thoughts. Do you guys think there's any connection? I mean, we've got this whole thing going on in Wrath, and I know that we've talked about this before, the whole rivalry and or connection going on between Yogg's around like the old gods and the Lich King. Do you think that there's any connection there between Helia and the old gods or is that a completely separate thing? Joe? That's a tough question. <laughs> um, I'm going to err on I think it's a separate thing. I think in so much as I don't think they're in league together, I think that I think that their their goals are, are they're kind of adjacent yeah they don't they don't exactly want the exact same thing they may exist in some similar spaces but helia didn't exactly strike me as a i want to corrupt the world type person okay rossi same question no joe's wrong um <laughs> loken loken is the reason that helia is free loken working for yog saran broke the bonds that odin put on helia and freed her he's the entire reason that she could go against Odin. But do you um, think that she she knows that the old gods had anything to do with it? Like, do you think that she's in cahoots with them in any way? Cahoots? No. But I don't think you need to know someone is is using you to be used by them. Well, we've um, established that multiple times, yeah. too. Helia, Helia's, if you look at Helia's physical form, the one she chooses to take, that's a choice. She picked that. Um, it has multiple tentacles. and It, it is looks like a here. Naga. 
Yeah. It's like an Uber um, Naga. <clears throat> she's used her Cavaldier. <laughs> yes. She's used she's used her Cavaldier against the Naga and the old gods on several occasions. I think she's a volatile and not particularly easily used tool, and I don't think it's wise for servants of the old gods to think they can push her around because she won't have it. And she certainly doesn't like the old gods because she remembers her original purpose. Helia fought in the war against the Black Empire. Helia was Odin's right hand, just like Thorum. Yeah. She was actually she was a left hand. Thorum was his right hand. She was Titan Forged. Yeah. She was one of them. She wasn't a watcher. She wasn't the top level, but she was very powerful and she was in that war. I think she knows if you asked her what she thinks of the old gods, she would say they must never be allowed no, she was released. a watcher way back when. She was a Titan Forge watcher. It doesn't actually. I think I don't think it actually says if she was or not. Like whether or not she was one it of was the in ones. Chronicle. Like, okay, I don't. I I don't remember. But I, my point being, it. She fought in that war. She hates the old gods. I think Loken definitely used her to his agenda, and I think she's been affected by it because Loken was completely corrupted. Maybe, but at the same point, we've talked about that too, where like you the old gods don't necessarily have to make you one of their agents for you to do what they no, want and you to exactly. do. She's like they not. knew what she was going to do. And it's like, let her off the yeah. chain. She's going to help us by doing whatever her original agenda is. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you there. I don't think Helia works for the old gods. I think she serves their purpose because they know how to push her buttons. They know what she hates most. And it's Odin. Because of what he did. No, you're not going to hate anybody as much as you're going to hate someone you used to love who betrayed you. And Odin, she loved him. She thought of him as her father. Yeah. And yep. he killed her and made her into a slave. And she couldn't even do anything about it for thousands of upon thousands of years until Loken comes along and breaks the enchantment on her. And what would her thought be? Why didn't anyone else help me? There's all these other, why didn't Ra help me? I helped Ra make the elemental planes. Why didn't he help me? Why didn't anybody help me? I, all I did was what he told me to do. He wanted the halls of valor lifted up from, from Alduar. I did what he wanted. He wanted me to help him make a pact with it being in the Shadowlands. I did what he wanted. And this is what he does to me. This is my reward. Slavery. So yeah, I definitely think the old gods are influencing her. I think that they're pointing her in the directions they wanted to go. But I don't think they have to have her as one of their servants to do it. Yeah, those are all very good points. Helia's story is one of those ones that it, it always struck me as kind of why are we helping Odin again? Oh, I got no idea that guy. Yeah, it's like why are we helping Odin again after everything that he did? Why are we trusting that guy when? You know, oh, if he, he doesn't did... show up as a villain in the future, I will be I will be astonished. Yeah, I will be very surprised as well. Yeah, like I can all totally right. see him trying to kick off reorigination again. We'll have to see. We'll have to wait and see what happens with that. Anyway, that wraps us up for the show. Thank you guys very much for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.